For December 13th, 2010, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 128. I'm a dancer, not a swan. Welcome to the Overthinking It podcast, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. From Los Angeles, California, home of the limited release. That's right, come to LA and see tomorrow's movies today. I'm your host, Matthew Rather. <laughs> I've seen a lot of tomorrow's movies uh, today, and uh, so have all the panelists tonight. Uh, but there is no, no, no Pete Fenzel. What are we going to do? Uh, if you're playing the uh, Overthinking It podcast drinking drink game at home, uh, drink. Now, I think you have to chug, in fact. You have to finish your drink now that there's no F- Pete Fenzel. Uh, and also drink again, because before Pete Fenzel in the alphabet is Natalie Baseman, who is going to answer the question of the week, uh, which is this. We have, we have a couple of movies uh, on deck for tonight. Movies like Black Swan showing the thriller-like and uh, horror-like uh, seamy underbelly of... Um, the ballet world uh burlesque showing the seamy underbelly of gay 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 nightclubs campy 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 stuff in where hollywood in a, in a hollywood of the mind and the king's speech showing the seamy underbelly of uh uh vocal coaching <laughs> I guess. Um, so here's the challenge to the panel tonight: pitch us a movie about uh, showing about ripping the veil back and and seeing behind the scenes at some occupation or endeavor. Uh, drinking game, drink. It's Natalie Baseman. Oh, hello, gentlemen. I am glad to be back. Wonderful to have you. Ah. <laughs> so. Uh, I would like to see the seedy, disturbing, sexy underbelly of the Antiques Roadshow. Uh-huh. <laughs> now, I think that you could do it from two ways. Now, you could go on the road with the experts uh, and seeing what kind of shenanigans they're getting to, what kind of you know drug idled pasts and love flings that they have on the road with each other, like is the coin guy and the lace woman you know getting together, and then <laughs> the producers and a camera person could also go back with some of the you know the hard hitting uh antique bringers that's not the correct word but like the people who come and and show off their wares and follow them back and like maybe do a little flashback of you know where did this actually come from and i think it would be very saucy very sexy very uh 2010 2011- <laughs> <laughs> so what do you guys think put money on that <laughs> i'd say this idea is worth at least great Uh, this is this is my plea to all of the listeners to just send me a check so i can produce my dream project uh mark lee is next all right not that i really think this is going to be that make that great of a movie but because i know that if we don't suggest it now one of the commenters will uh, naturally, someone out there is dying to see 
the CD underbelly, the 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 magic behind the curtain of the Overthinking It podcast. Um, because I don't know about you guys, but I freebased a whole lot of cocaine and uh, screwed over a lot of people on my way to getting on this podcast. It was not pretty. To be honest, guys, it's not that dramatic. There's like three additional penis jokes per show that you don't get to hear, and that's really all. What are you talking about? There's so more and more, more than three. There's at least four or five penis jokes. <laughs> Come on. It'd be dynamite. Just trust me. <laughs> no, it actually really would. I'm, I'm agreeing with you. That's why I said that. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm bringing this up mostly just because uh, if we didn't, other people would be would be demanding it. So that's true. Okay, moving on. Jordan, come on. Maybe you have the winner here. You know what I'd really like to see in a movie um, is the CD underbelly behind music producers who deal with music that isn't actually good. Like we've seen the CD underbelly of music before. We've seen that a lot. Um, and, but like the one thing that all those movies have in common is that the artist turns out to be secretly really, really talented and they just need to, you know, overcome. And that's not always the case. Right. I'd, I'd really like to see, you know, the, uh, the story about like the production team that had to go in there when, oh, I don't know, even Britney Spears is a little bit too legit. Um, Paris Hilton. Yeah, sure. When Paris Hilton is coming out with her CD, but he, but like that's not quite right either because that nothing from that CD went anywhere. I'm talking about something that becomes like a low grade hit despite the songwriting and uh, performance having zero talent behind it, and like go through the payola and the massive, massive layers of auto tune that has to be applied. I think that would actually be interesting. It would make zero dollars and uh, <laughs> and open it like five cities across the nation. Excellent. Okay, here's mine. In a time of global corporate takeovers, in a third place where warm earth tones complement the wood and exposed brick, only one man can make the cappuccino. This summer, danger comes half-calf, no-foam, two-and-a-half pumps of vanilla. Barista. Summer 2012. So my idea is to, uh, to pull back the curtain on the, uh, the world of Starbucks, which is uh, such a, an integral part of our life, such a formula that if you travel or if you, you know, go even within your own city, you expect to have, uh, have just so. And there must be some kind of shadowy corporate control being exerted uh, behind the scenes in order to... To make it uh, to make it come out just right, right? I would assume so. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm I'm sure there's and and I don't mean like corporate manuals and standards and practices. I mean, someone like slit their hand and you know dripped a few drops of blood onto a contract with the devil somewhere at some point along the uh, the you know Faustian uh, progress of uh, of Starbucks world domination, right? Someone is uh, is paying their immortal soul uh, when you know when the Reaper comes a calling. You know? Well, and then you, you you also need to have like the standard 
I don't even know what, what the what the term is for this narrative, the cocktail thing, where you have someone who can really make good coffee and some sleazy executive, perhaps played by Kyle MacLachlan, perhaps not, <laughs> says like, hey, you know, you, you make a mean cup of coffee, like come work at the Starbucks, you'll I'll show you the world, baby. Later on, they like make love on a pile of coffee beans in the back room. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh that actually gets at the NC-17 rating, because if you've ever looked into the back room of Starbucks, it is disgusting back there. Well, yeah, anything. The back room at anything. <laughs> any food service. Any food service place. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you should see the back room of the overthinking at Podcast Snack Bar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's, a, there's, a, there's this George Foreman girl that hasn't been cleaned in a really long time. <laughs> since, since, the days, since the days of the Kelly house. Uh, oh, there's that's some inside baseball. There. Yeah, <laughs> that is far inside. It's a joke that four of our thousand listeners are going to get. <laughs> Just know that that was uh, what eight eight years ago. Yeah, nine years. Seven, eight. <laughs> if you went to college with yeah. us, that joke was uh, absolutely hilarious. Okay, yeah. In, in, in utilitarian terms, that was a really good joke because, like. <laughs> The people who do laugh at it will laugh so hard that it makes up for everyone else's bemused, like, huh, and, and closing of the podcast window. <laughs> That's us playing to our base right there. Barack yeah. Obama, take note. Alienating all of your, you know, hardcore supporters. Nope, got to throw him a bone every once in a while. I thought that this, right, exactly. It's the, it's the Tom Bradley problem, isn't it? That, you know, you alienate your base and then someone else becomes mayor of Los Angeles. Uh so I was um, <laughs> I was sure that would take longer than that, <laughs> uh, but we we burned we burned through those very quickly. What makes a good uh, What makes a good behind the scenes movie? I guess it has. I guess it's glamour, isn't it? You know the way that the way that Black Swan takes you behind the scenes of of uh, ballet, or you know, King's Speech is about royalty, or um, Burlesque is about show business, which is you know. Uh, at least notionally glamorous, um, the way um, Soul Plane takes you behind the uh, the you know purple naga hide door of an airline, uh, you know the glamorous airline industry, or even something like The Wrestler, right? Like WWE maybe isn't glamorous by the standards of most entertainment, but part of what makes that movie tick is that you realize that it's in fact much less glamorous than even it seemed to be. Sure. I mean, uh, like you, you couldn't do a behind the scenes movie where it's like, in fact, it really is that awesome. <laughs> yeah. Behind the scenes of being a, like a middle Eastern shake, right. Of a, you know, or an emir of a mm-hmm. small oil, rich, uh, emirate, right. Like, uh, it really is fantastic. Gold plated everything. I think I, I'm not quite sure when I heard this, but I heard that a Black Swan and The Wrestler were originally imagined to be the same movie. I've heard the same thing as well, yeah. Which, which now that I've is seen... an amazing uh, uh, sort of title card match there when you think about it, right? The Black Swan versus The Wrestler. Yeah. Yes. Like yeah. Natalie Portman going at it against Mickey Rourke. Uh, I'd pay to see that. My Paper money's on my money's box. on Natalie in the movie. She's uh, she gets mean at the end. Oh, spoiler alert! Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm shocked. Shocked. Well, maybe we should. So are we are we to understand that like Black Swan is all some like 
steroid-addled dream that Mickey Rourke is having as he, like, plummets from the top rope one last time. <laughs> Could be. Not having seen the movie, I'm going to go ahead and say that that's the only way that it makes any sense at all. <laughs> well, okay, I've uh, I've seen the movie. I think this is the podcast of movies that only one or two of us have have seen. Natalie and I, uh, Natalie and I have seen the movie, and I, you know, I'm not sure there's much to um, I'm not sure there's much to overthink. The 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 um, it's a perfect movie in a way for this podcast though and this website because of the way it, it combines uh, high and low culture right it's a very sort of arty world that the movie takes place in uh right ballet you know a ballet company and about ba- like a premier ballet company in new york um uh right it takes place at lincoln center and there's a ton of lincoln center in the movie um so you know they're always like walking on the plaza and sitting by the fountain and you know uh going in the stage door and looking at the posters and things and things like this um you know being in the being in the theater so the um uh there's there's that high element but there's also a um there's also uh an element of kind of trashiness to it both in the in the sort of clichés of horror uh and of the kind of doppelganger all the doppelganger stuff but the um uh but but more than that too the kind of the kind of tone of certain of certain parts the the weird uh, eroticized relationship between uh, Mila Kunis and Natalie Portman, the um, you know the uh, the director of the ballet company who can't keep his hands to himself, and all the relationship between Natalie Portman and her mother. Yeah, absolutely. The the sure the mommy dearest it out mommy dearestists mommy dearest right. <laughs> <laughs> that that relationship uh, right and exactly the the um you know i like that as a verb <laughs> <laughs> the natalie natalie portman's many ma- oh spoiler alert by the way for everything we talk about natalie portman's many many unsuccessful um attempts to masturbate in the film you know <laughs> <laughs> Go, can, we, can we unpack that for a moment because i think that could be the subject of some well, interesting a, I mean, discussion Right, it's like the the thing about her character is she's a technically perfect ballerina, but she's uptight, and, uh, right? And the skeevy uh, the skeevy head of the company who's who's trying to hit on her, but then gives up because she's too uptight and not really interesting enough to hit on, um, tells her to go home and play with herself, right? And and uh, mm. you know, um, and she she tries several times, but she's always she's always interrupted uh, in one hilarious way that I won't spoil, and then in a couple of. Um, <laughs> Sort of of really creepy ways. Yeah, that was really the the moment that everyone in the audience was was laughing as opposed to anything else in the movie. So that was at least a brief moment in the first act where everyone's cracking up. Well, right. And this is the thing that I think is good about it. I mean, this is the thing. The the sure hand is, I think, the thing that makes it not just exploitation, though it deploys a lot of exploitation, I think, Mm -hmm. to great effect. Um, uh, the shorthand uh, tonally, right? Because it's it's creepy when it wants to be creepy, and it's it's um, exploitative and sort of sleazy when it wants to be sleazy, and it's, mm-hmm. it's actually funny when it wants to be funny. There are a couple of of laugh out loud moments in the midst of all the Michigas and um, uh, and all the kind of the horror thriller stuff. Uh, right. horror, horror is probably. Um, uh, horror is probably putting it too strongly. Sort of, sort of uh, vaguely uneasy thriller stuff, right? Mm-hmm. 
I would agree with that. I, I thought that um, it it had just this, the tone of the movie itself, I think, was fairly consistent. Uh, and I think Natalie Portman brought that more so than the direction. And just with her almost patheticness of her inability to break out of her own shell, which spoiler alert, she does in a really creepy way. So, uh, which I think was done very well too. I kind of liked it. Um, anyway, uh, but yeah, there's, uh, they play with all of these different elements and the thing is, when it gets really skeezy, it gets really, really skeezy. There's a scene and when they're in the club and they're out and they're dancing and they're making out and sleeping. But it was very <laughs> sleeping, sleeping with people. Uh, <laughs> so that's the skeezy part because actual just sleeping isn't skeezy. Anyway, uh, I think that was very effective. Uh, sure. Right. The, um, well, the, the, uh, the environment, um, right. The, uh, there's a lot of kind of different, there's a lot of different space, but it's all, it all, it all shares similar qualities. It's all very claustrophobic. Like in that club scene, you know, going through the, uh, the kind of the underground tunnels of this, you know, I don't know, underground rave like dance club with the, the flashy lights and the girls making out and the whole, you know, the whole thing. But then, uh, you know, Natalie Portman then wants to escape and, and runs through this sort of, um, uh, labyrinth, uh, labyrinthine uh, tunnels to escape. Um, this is akin to the sort of labyrinth-like tunnels of the small Upper West Side apartment. Um, you know, and the only the only place where there seems to be a, a vast expanse of space where the camera kind of backs up um, is on the stage. The, yeah, is, is on the stage or in the rehearsal studio. Uh, it's it's the trope of of a horror movie to um, to stay in really close to the characters because then you can reveal things and have um, you know, have big scares, but here I I think it gives a it gives a sense of a world that's kind of closing in, a world that's very confined and kind of very uptight, and uh, you know, n- uh, r- rooms and who owns rooms, like dressing rooms backstage, or N- Natalie Portman's mother coming into her room, or you know, being alone in the bathroom, and like uh, pri- privacy, you know, is is um, at issue in the movie, and that there kind of isn't enough space, and so many people want to barge in to the space, which again is a trope of like, there's only one part, but a lot of ballerinas want to dance the lead role in Swan Lake and, and um, kind of, uh, you know, it's a trope of scarcity, right? And of, of uh, striving for scarce resources and to sort of um, uh, what, beat your, beat your fellows out to, uh, to get scarce resources. Um, yeah. Oh, what else do I want to say about it? I, you know, it struck me as sort of slow, which I really appreciated. Uh, mm-hmm. Right. You see so many things these days, which are kind of like paced like the Bourne movies. You know, where everything is pace, 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 and everything is sort of of super kinetic. And and for something to kind of just watch, even if the camera is, uh, you know, a little nausea inducing for being you know close and handheld and and uh and shaky shaky um still a lot of a lot of long takes very long by the standards of you know contemporary hollywood movies uh you know i don't know which which i like 
I also this, like, sound, this sounds familiar to my experience of watching The Wrestler, right? Obviously, Darren Aronofsky's last movie, right? And what, 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 what I was kind of interested to hear from you guys, I assume both of you have seen The Wrestler, right? I actually have not seen The Wrestler. No, I haven't either. No. And it's been a year. You guys the- and I have the DVD. I have it. And I haven't watched it. You know what the best way for me not to watch a movie is? I don't mean to go off to buy Netflix, it. Netflix it. Yeah. <laughs> Yo, yeah, to send me the DVD. Right, exactly, to Netflix it. I had the Deer Hunter for 18 months before I, uh, I actually popped it in. Now, of course, it's hard to find a good mood um, to see, you know, Christopher Walken lose his mind in the jungles of Vietnam. It's hard to, you know, you don't really come home from work <laughs> on a Thursday night and, and think, you know what I really want is an arduous psychodrama about the, uh, you know, the decline of America, right? Um, and the, the uh, impossibility of hope for anything. <laughs> well, actually, that, that's funny you mentioned that as well, because I think that was a similar experience I had when, uh, before watching The Wrestlers. I Netflixed it. Uh, it sat there for a while at, while I was re- rotating through various lighter fare through probably the Instant Watch or through Hulu, you know, like Family Guy episodes or something like that. And then finally I'm like, huh, you know, I've, there's this DVD of The Wrestler. I should watch it. And I felt kind of, you know, a, a, I, don't know if I, think a, I don't know if assaulted is quite the right word, but it was a brutal moving, uh, movie experience. It was not an easy thing to watch. Um, which is kind of why I wanted to, to, was very curious to hear the comparisons to it, but uh, it's very much your point, Matt. It's, it's like, oh, I want to watch an extremely depressing movie about, uh, you know, a washed out guy who, uh, you know, who, 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 a washed out wrestler who faces a tragic end and, you know, see him do all these awful things to himself and to people that he loves. Right. In the yeah. Name that's, of, that's yeah, what yeah, I want to do. In the Thursday name of night. pursuing this dream that is, you know, that is sort of doomed, right? Yeah. And well, okay. So here's here's the thing. God, I want to go in five directions at once. I feel like Fenzel. Um, the uh, the um, uh, Black Swan. Sorry, not the Black Swan. Black Swan is a lot like that in that it it really chronicles the sort of punishing effects on the body of ballet. And if you know anyone who's a dancer, it's like. Um, if you ever get, get a chance, look at a dancer's feet or like Google, you know, if you Google image search dancer's feet, it's, you know, it's disgusting. And right. And there's Natalie Portman, like, you know, throwing up her lunch into the toilet backstage at the at the um, uh, backstage at Lincoln Center. Right. And, uh, you know, there's the kind of the punishing hours staying late and and. Um, the toll that it takes on your on your body. This is this is a person who seems. I mean, this is a director who seems interested in uh, in bodies and the things that we do to them that sort of deform them, but uh, that we do in the name of um, uh, what transcending ourselves, right? Which you know, now that we now that we have this uh, brief interchange here, it makes a lot of sense why he his name was briefly attached to remake RoboCop. Yeah, right. Which. Sure. Uh, you know, on first glance, it was like, huh? Like that? But hey, you know, what do we do to our bodies to transcend them? Robocop? Excuse me. Somewhere there is a crime being committed. I have to go. Right. But it's, you know, he's, it's, he's made into Robocop because he's, he's, um, He's really messed up at the beginning, right? Oh yeah, it's not that he is like you know uh, he wants to transform himself into RoboCop. Yeah, so get this to, is, get but to... exactly, this is what this is what happens. I mean, like the the body gets sort of pummeled. You know what I mean? It gets um. I you know one of the most arresting things one of the, one of the visuals that I remember most in a movie with a lot of striking visuals was um. Uh, Natalie Portman working with a woman teaching her the choreography uh, to play the swan in Swan Lake to play the Swan Queen, um, uh, the lead swan and. 
anyway, so this woman was going from like, you know, high fifth to second or something like that. I don't know. It's been a long time since I learned what ballet arms. She was flapping her arms, essentially. Uh, <laughs> yes. Up, Speak to us in terms we can understand, man. And and, uh, the shot was um, uh, behind her, over the shoulder, Natalie Portman. And so you could see her shoulder blades uh, going up and down her back and the kind of the muscles and skin in her back kind of expanding and contracting. And you just got the sense that this was a, I mean, this was a dancer. This was someone whose body had been through the ringer uh, in the course of a life. This is a person who had kind mm-hmm. of lived hard on her body and sort of bore the, the marks, the physical marks of, um, you know, of this life uh, that, that she had lived. And this is, I mean, I think this is an interesting question, especially in, um, especially in light of what we were talking about with Pete uh, about kind of the appreciation of bodies um, and the kind of the their kinetic properties, their energy. Um, this is something that I think we lose a lot when everyone's a freaking web designer. You know what I mean? When when we all have office jobs, uh, this this sense of um, uh, work and a life's work is something that is not just accomplished with your mind, but it's accomplished with your body and it takes a toll uh, on your body and you can read the toll that it takes on your body uh, when you look at yourself. Mm-hmm. That scene was actually, I think, one of my favorites of the entire film because it felt real. It just felt so real, the the teaching aspect and, and the woman who played the teacher, uh, I assume she was actually a ballet teacher and not an actress portraying a ballet teacher. And, and that got me thinking about, you know, picking two actresses to play the leads in this film. And I kept going back and forth. Should they have picked ballerinas, actual ballerinas who would probably be extremely competent in the acting portion of the film and, amazing in the dancing, but Natalie Portman, I had, she was great. She was a great dancer. And, and she was, I don't know because my eyes aren't trained for ballet, but for me, uh, she pulled it off as being excellent. So it made me think of, you know, is it up to us to decide or, or can, should we rely on actresses and actors to commit so hard to their characters that they take up a whole other career that would she be able to pull off having the body and the skill of someone who had been doing ballet since they were two or three years old. And I, I think at least in the movie, it was pulled off very well. Yeah. This is the kind of thing where like, you really want to have someone who is a ballet dancer watch this movie and tell us whether we should be impressed by it or not. Right. Like anyone, anyone who knows that kind of thing, please send off in the comic, the comments, because I would be fascinated. Yeah. Me as well. She does herself. um, She does herself proud. Right. Oh yeah. And I think Mila Kunis does it too. They were both amazing. And, you know, when you read all of the entertainment blogs and the gossip blogs, they're talking now all about how, you know, they lost 20 pounds to do this role, but they don't focus on that they had to take up this skill that 
is something that most people in the world will never physically be able to accomplish. If you've ever had on, gentlemen, if you've ever had on ballet shoes, which maybe you have, but uh, I think I've once had on those toe shoes, the ones with the inch and the half of wood at the end where you have to stand up on your toes. And I don't think I was on my toes for more than 10 seconds. It's literally the most painful thing in the world. And they, for acting in one movie did that for hours and hours and hours and months and months to learn how to do it. It's incredible commitment. She did her own, she did her own dancing. Hey, if you want to see real violence done to toes, go watch, um, go watch white Knights, uh, which is a movie about, uh, uh, Russian dancer who is a uh, defector to the United States, uh, starring Barishnikov. Now there's a guy who actually, who acts really well and, uh, is a, a, brilliant uh dancer but he does a thing where he curls his toes under and jumps on the kind of curled under toes on the little nubs of his toes jumps 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 uh, which you see in in close-up choreography in that movie by twyla tharp um hey i i want to go back to my netflix queue um, and I, you know, I'm looking through it now and it strikes me that a lot of these things that I've added to my Netflix queue, tell me if you have this problem. Uh, I've added because I think I ought to add them to my Netflix queue. Oh yeah, totally. Right. That is to say, you know, I am a, uh, I am a artistically inclined, educated guy. I ought to want to watch seven samurai or something right when when really i'd probably rather watch soul plane or uh, (laughs) an episode of the vampire diaries or you know i don't know something like that right uh yeah well i mean i made that mistake you know don't knock the vampire diaries vampire diaries is a totally good soap but uh, uh you know i don't know what die hard or something like that right yeah that's what my netflix used to look like until i saw the wrestler and kind of felt so bad about myself i think that's well, that, that's not an exaggeration. I felt kind of crappy after watching The Wrestler. It was a great movie, but I felt really crappy after that. So after that proceeded, I think, at least six, if not seven Arnold Schwarzenegger movies. And I felt a lot better <laughs> after that. <laughs> True Lies. Yeah. That's, um, yeah, that movie is very different from The Wrestler. There's so a the chopper. Netflix must have the most distorted idea about your preferences. They're like, it is so you confused. seem to like dudes with muscles. Like yeah, you know how you muscles. can, you know how you can um, look on a Google map of, you know, of your area and what movies are popular. Sure. Um, so there was an ad put up on the red line in Boston, which is in the subway as you go by for Coraline. This was put up maybe three years ago and they never took it down. And if you look on the map for Coraline, people who live on the stretch of the red line going from Cambridge all the way to downtown Boston and then into Dorchester, it is this huge, huge swell of popularity for Netflix for Coraline. <laughs> that is goddamn hilarious. Wow. Yeah, to this day, it, it's on. It's surreal. Was it one I've of those animated never- ads where the where the motion of the train produces the animation that uh, that you see yes. as you go by? Exactly. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. So I mean, it's a great it's a great thing. Uh, but they still haven't changed it. I assume, I, I, you know, I don't know how subway ads work. 
Uh, and I don't think it's up there just because it's hard to take down, but maybe they just bought it and they're holding it out to make another one when their next big movie comes out and then they can harass people who live on the red line for the next three or four years. This, well, I mean, it costs money to take, you know, to get people to come out to take down an ad. And sometimes the, the smart move economically, I guess, is just to leave it there. I always wonder that when you, when you see billboards for movies that have long, uh, uh, long since closed. There was one in L.A. for the longest time for Remember Me, the, um, the movie with Edward the Vampire in it that ends, spoiler alert, with him walking into the World Trade Center on the morning of Tuesday, September 11th, uh, 2001. Um, right. Uh, and it's this, uh, it's this uh, you know, arduous love story, and that's the climactic shot of it right after they've, I don't know what, agreed to love each other. I don't know. I didn't see the movie. But this... this um, this uh, billboard was up forever and ever and ever, and this movie came and went like a like a wet fart, and it uh... <laughs> not e- not even because those can linger. <laughs> it's true. Um, yeah, so uh, you gotta you gotta wonder. I don't know what I mean. So here's the list of things in my life where I uh, where I do what I think I ought to do rather than. Um, Rather than what I think I really would enjoy, uh, my Netflix queue, books I take out from the library, uh, magazines mm-hmm. I subscribe to. I got a uh, I got a lot of back issues of the London Review of Books piling up. A lot of back issues of Harper, Harper's, and um, uh, what the Nation and the New Republic piling up, piling up. Uh, I'm going to read them all one day. Uh, you know, that, um, uh, it's, it's funny, right? Like, uh, because you have a, you have a conception of yourself, you know, and, and a conception of yourself, the, the way you think you are and the way you think you ought to be. And, and a lot of the times you make decisions based on, based on those things, right? To, or, or is it just me? Am I alone? Totally alone. Oh, yeah, you are. I mean, it's a big problem. No, of course. I do that all the time. I think at least a quarter of the books on my bookshelf I have only read part of or maybe even not cracked open at all. And I think I, I as I get older and my taste becomes more defined of what I actually like and what I have time for and what I have money for is that you know, I I try not to buy books just for the hell of it, and I'll try not to get a movie on my Netflix queue uh, and have it sit on my desk for six months, like The Color Purple did, and then just return it because <laughs> I was never, I was just never going to be able to handle it. Um, but for things like like comedy, I will now. Like, if I'm going to buy something, I want to actually experience it. But no, but there's definitely a case. Like, because uh, my big thing is comedy, I feel like I I need to know everybody in comedy. And it's like the same thing I when I was in, you know, eighth grade and I decided I wanted to like punk rock music. I would just, oh God, I would, (laughs) I would go on to like punk rock t-shirt websites and just see the list of bands on there like the most popular t-shirts and i would go out and get their cds 
because I knew. And then, I, and you know, it, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like, I then became a big fan of all these different bands. Not all of them. And then my taste became more specific as I figured out what it actually was. But that's, <laughs> an, that's an outstanding method for, for shaping musical taste, by the way. It's, it's popularity on T-shirt websites. Yeah. <laughs> especially, especially for punk rock. That is, <laughs> that is authentic. no offense to you, Natalie. Like I have a great deal of affection for you, but that is, what, what's the term? Shite, right? <laughs> oh, no, no, no. The thing is, it was uh, extremely pathetic, but that's what I wanted. And I had no other, well, the thing is, I had no other way of finding out what these bands were that I was going to like. Like, and it's, I feel like that that's always happened. It's like you stumble upon an EP or a record and then you go out and you, you try and seek out everything else that you can in it. Like I just thought commercially first. (laughs) Uh, But then you did did actually become a punk rock fan, right? You were saying. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, definitely. And then to the point where, you know, I would go to a show and anyone wearing the T-shirt of the band that we were currently seeing, I was like, "Oh, they probably just bought that shirt now. They're not real fans. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they didn't buy that off the internet, <laughs> right?" And, and all, I have to clarify: by punk rock, I do mean ska music. <laughs> so. Awesome. <laughs> so, okay, so. Little- We've all we've all revealed our mine was the deer hunter, Mark's was the wrestler, Natalie's was the color purple. Jordan, what was what was the DVD that you let um <laughs> uh that, that you let sit on your uh on your coffee table for a year and a half? Oh my there was there was one in particular um that stayed for a very long time, but I've kind of repressed the memory of it. <laughs> I like I, I realized how, how many copies of the DVD I could have bought. For the amount of time it had been sitting there, right? For Netflix, oh. that's that's the thing. That's what they're counting on. That's how they make their money. You know, yeah. they're counting. They're counting on guilt. You know what I had for a real long time? Russian Ark. Remember that? Movie? <laughs> it was like what? what was it, it was yeah. one Tarkovsky, long. Right? Yeah. I, I forget it. Like one long take going around uh, the Hermitage Museum, uh, like basically like a walking tour in one take. As various figures from Russian history like run around in the background and uh, and dance waltzes and things like that, not a very exciting movie, I gotta say. <laughs> if you want, if you want one long take, let me recommend the excellent Snake Eyes, starring Nicolas Cage uh, and directed by Brian De Palma, where the first half hour of the movie is is one long take. Now, Brian De Palma, those movies, when I get them on Netflix, I watch them. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. You know, if you want something. In fact, you know what? We should do this as a service on overthinking it. We should um, right? you send us a high culture movie that you can't actually bear to watch. And we'll uh, we'll send you uh, back a recommendation of a low culture <laughs> movie that you actually you actually probably could stand. Right. So we'll but- send you back a copy of Brian De Palma's Snake Eyes. <laughs> No matter what, the answer is Snake Eyes. I actually I have a bunch of Snake Eyes DVDs uh, stacked up in the corner that were remaindered at the uh, at the video store right when it closed down 
uh, because who has video stores anymore? So, uh, you know, if you want a copy of Snake Eyes, right, email us at podcast at overthinkingit.com. No, don't do that. That's not a real contest. We have a Twitter contest going on now. Read the open threads if you want to know about that. But no, we're not sending you Snake Eyes. You know what else we'll do? We'll also take that high, high, uh, what, uh, high, high culture uh, film that we haven't seen. We'll talk about it without having seen it so you can learn about how to talk about things you haven't seen uh, as if you <laughs> sort of intelligently, uh, can intelligently talk about it. Um, that's what we do here at overthinkingit.com, adding value left and right. Okay, I have something actually to bring it back to, uh, back to Black well, why Swan. Would you do that? Why would you do that, Mark? Just when we're, <laughs> I don't know. Just when I don't, we're starting because, to have fun. Because I hate this podcast, that's why. <laughs> and, I hate, and I hate doing this with all you of you. You hate everything this website stands for. Yes, that is why. No. So I sort of half-jokingly brought up the connection to Darren Aronofsky and RoboCop earlier. And there's actually uh, – it's, it's actually quite apropos because, um, the, of course, the original director of RoboCop was our beloved Paul Verhoeven, who directed another little movie we all may, may remember known as – Showgirls. Sokarov. Sorry, that's the director of uh, of Russian art. <laughs> We're not talking about Russian art and Sokarov. He's no Paul Verhoeven. Did he make a movie in which Arnold Schwarzenegger's eyeballs like bulged out as he tried to suck in the non-existent air of Mars? I don't think so. I guess I said Tarkovsky because he's the one Russian I've heard of. You're just doing this to spite me, right? Just talk about things that's not germane to the topic. <laughs> Thanks, Matt. Okay. Paul, Paul Verhoeven directed RoboCop. Darren Aronofsky attached to direct, uh, a remake of RoboCop. What I'm actually going to talk about is the connection between Paul Verhoeven, Showgirls, Black Swan, and Darren Aronofsky, right? Because one of the things, I think, Jordan, you tweeted this earlier, that, uh, that Black Swan seems to be like a, just a, uh, a higher culture version of Showgirls, right? I'm assuming that there's a climactic scene, and you two have seen the movie, correct me if I'm wrong, where uh, Natalie Portman screams, I'm a dancer, not a swan, at the top of her lungs, right? <laughs> that happens, right? Um, it's actually, whether she's a dancer or a swan is actually at issue in certain points of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. All right, I have to see this. <laughs> no, but all joking aside, I think the consensus was that, well, yes, like narratively, the two movies are very similar. Sure. In, yes, in broad strokes. I mean, I'm not sure what else there is to say about that other than just to acknowledge it and, and get a little bit of a laugh out of the fact that those two movies, uh, of which are the, the regard, critical regard for which cannot be uh, greater, um, still have quite a lot in common. Well, one thing that's kind of interesting is that you guys, not only about you were both saying this is a very trashy movie, right? In its way. I'm saying that there are, there are elements of trashiness to it that are deployed, I think, to mitigate against the more cloying uh, art house kind of connotations of a movie about a ballet company. Um, mm-hmm. wh- right. This movie could have been like Robert Altman's The Company, which has Nev Campbell as a ballerina in it. Um, and it's so and that movie is so reverential about ballet. Uh, you know, it's actually probably closer to what a, a real ballet company is like. Um, b- but uh, it's so it has its thumb so far up its ass about, um, you know, about art and about, you know, uh, and right. Malcolm McDowell sort of stomping around as the the artistic director of the company. Um and and this you know this movie was going to be a, a like an award season kind of platformer you know opening New York and L A expanding to the big cities and then you know then going wide if it uh, if it did well which it seems to be it seems to be doing well um, 
that uh, that there had to be something in it to kind of mitigate against the uh, the just sort of stultifying, cloying, um, art housiness uh, of it to make it just not a, a sort of belletristic, um, uh, you know, kind of exercise in 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 uh, uh, cultural appreciation and. Uh, and so the kind of the the trashiness, the the weird erotic stuff with um, uh, Mila Kunis and and Natalie Portman, the uh, the kind of the horror movie thrills that that it uh, comes, at the the all the aspects of cheapness, I think, are there to um, uh, to undercut the high tone of the of like ballet, to drag it back to the middle brow. Well, well yeah, maybe I, you know. I think. Uh, perhaps, but I, and that's probably right. And that's probably why they're focusing on that for a lot of the advertising that they're doing. Uh, but I don't think they're entirely out of place, nor do they, uh, they fit with the arc of the story. Uh, I think the, the sex scene between, the two lead actresses in this film like i think there would be a sex scene there and it was going to be with natalie portman and someone else or natalie portman and Mila kunis and they went with Mila kunis i don't think it, it i don't think it's completely out of grasp grasp of the film itself uh it is a little gratuitous how they are exploiting that in trying to get people to get into the theater to see the movie. Um, oh, really? because I didn't see, like I didn't see Natalie Portman kissing Mila Kunis in a, it was pitched as a horror movie in all the trailers that I saw. Not as a, not as like a, a sexy horror movie. <laughs> oh, well I think I, maybe it's just because I read the Huffington Post entertainment section way too often, but I feel like that was pitched I know. I feel like I saw a lot of that. Uh, yeah. So maybe and, it was maybe it was coming out. Maybe it was coming out uh, in other ways besides uh, trailers and commercials. Yeah. Well, you know. Right. Right. And I, I heard something about Darren Aronofsky uh, saying, talking a lot about it, them and how he wanted them to to get win best kiss in the MTV Video. And yeah, and I don't know why. I'm sure that really keeps that guy up nights. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure. That's what Paul Verhoeven was working for as well, too. A VMA. That's what keeps him going. (laughs) It's uh, you know, it's also. I mean, the the girl girl sex scene is you know, it's a movie with tons of kind of of twinning right doppelgangers mirror images a lot of broken mirrors and like fragmented mirrors kind of the identity not as a unified thing but as a uh uh, as a thing fragmented split up into a lot of pieces and and you know it's about it follows the the um white swan black swan kind of swan lake story right and you know natalie portman is the white swan and Mila kunis is the black swan and the the sex scene is kind of about integrating the identities and uh, you know, there there are thematic reasons for doing it the the way that uh, uh, that it's being done. Um, but I um, 
Yeah, it's not just the it's not just kind of the the uh, sexy sexy danger or the sexy sexy sex. It, it's also you know a lot of it is grainy. Like a lot of it was shot on sixteen millimeter. A lot of it uh, uh, takes place in kind of industrial or underground spaces. Um, like there's a. Uh, there's a movie with a, a creeper on the subway who is, uh, you know, I don't know, skeeving out Natalie Portman. Um, I don't know. Uh, the, like the, the idea of um, the idea that the uh, the uh, love has pitched his palace in the place of excrement is um, uh, pervasive in in this movie. Wait, that's an that's yeah. an, that's an idea. The love wait, run the love has pitched its. <laughs> palace in the place of excrement what is that something that we should that uh, reference that i should be familiar with it's yates isn't it uh, uh, uh you're asking me i don't know <laughs> you're the, you're the English picture. let me let me uh <laughs> it's, it's like a, such a strange turn of phrase i uh love palace excrement new oh, york city mansion love has pitched his mansion um in the place of excrement Is, that's what you're doing. You're calling my city a place of excrement, New York City, huh? Is that what it is? So I think that it would be more interesting it's if there was a not a place of excrement. <laughs> <laughs> I think it would be more interesting if there was a sort of half art, half art house, half trashy horror movie about uh, you know stripping on the Vegas uh, you know casinos and a utterly, utterly trashy movie about ballet. I feel like the world would be better served by a version where, like, Showgirls is the halfway respectable one and Black Swan is just beyond the pale. <laughs> let's, take, let's take a little poll here among the, uh, the Overthinking a Podcast panelists. When was the last time that you, you uh, went to a ballet? Like an actually sort of full-length ballet? Yeah, that's what the I last thought. Time, ah. No, no, I can... <laughs> The last time I actually went to the ballet was when I was like a kid and we would go to the Nutcracker at Christmas. I actually tried to go to the ballet recently, but it turns out that even for live high culture entertainment, ballet is obscenely expensive, like way more expensive than opera, way more expensive than uh, than like the cheap seats on Broadway. What did they want? A, uh, what did they want for a ticket to the to the what New York City Ballet? Like the worst seat in the house where you can't see the dancers, which is an issue, right? Like it's not, not such an issue. The opera. Like the, the seat where you can't even see is like $60. Wow. And it, and it ramps up yeah. dramatically from That's that. Rough. But uh, I did watch the Nutcracker on TV the other night. So I feel like I can answer this question like kind of recently, hmm. sort of. In a well, way. I saw sort of I can that's, I have a similar answer as well in that like, like maybe a year and a half or two years ago, I saw a sort of modernized adaptation of the Nutcracker, um, which is you know far from a traditional ballet, but actually had bona fide ballet dancers doing their thing. I saw that a couple of years ago. But before but beyond that, sort of a real ballet was the actual Nutcracker. And that was when I was a kid. So. Not exactly. Yeah. I also saw. The last ballet I saw was in elementary school, and it was the Nutcracker, and I probably fell asleep. Matt, that leaves you. Uh, I saw Swan Lake done by Adventures in Motion Pictures, which is the company of that, what's his name, Matthew Bourne, right, Um, who was redoing all the ballet. Oh, no, I saw Swan Lake, then I saw Cinderella. But I was a kid also. It was was, uh, uh, on the order of 20 years ago. 
I okay. saw the episode of So You Think You Can Dance where they had a, a ballerina on there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I saw uh, Center Stage a couple times when I was in middle school. Which I, I, I saw the uh, I saw uh, uh, Step Up to the Streets. <laughs> Step up 3D. <laughs> I saw the uh, remake of Fame. No, I'm just kidding. Nobody saw the remake of uh, Fame. <laughs> 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 Should we talk about the other trashy pop culture movies which are on our which are on our, our plate? We burned off almost an hour uh, on this one movie that only that only two of us have seen. Um, <laughs> I don't think we could. I don't think we could do justice to. Uh, uh, to what burlesque? Is there justice to the guns? <laughs> what are you implying, Matt? Okay, who saw, who saw burlesque? Natalie saw burlesque. That, uh, that was me. Burlesque, uh, not not a movie that would sit on your coffee table for a year and a half unwatched. I think probably right. No, of course not. That would be in the DVD player and then back in the mail within uh, an hour and 20 minutes. <laughs> so how, um, how does it, uh, how does it go? How are, how are Christina Aguilera and Cher? Uh, Christina Aguilera is, uh, an amazing performer. I'll say that she's an amazing singer and is expressive and can dance. And when she's actually on stage singing it is quite captivating and totally entertaining. And when she's doing anything else, you want to fall asleep or rip your eyes out. <laughs> she's uh, just terrible. And she had these bangs the whole movie and there, you know, you shouldn't be distracted so much by the lead actress's haircut uh, but it was just so bad. Then I'll mention it now. Uh, why not? Bangs, awful. Uh, and Cher was uh, Cher being Cher. Uh, she looked like she was going to melt at any moment under the hot lights of the movie. Um, <laughs> Can you unpack that a little bit? In what way is she <laughs> going to melt? Like, why is okay. she going to melt? Well, um, she's had a little work done. She- She's had a little work done, and then on top of that, she probably had a pound and a half of makeup on her, and she was crying the whole movie, pretty much, uh, because uh, her, you know, her little burlesque club is going to be shut down, and uh, the guy from the OC is telling her uh, that the finances are falling apart, and then you have Alan Cummings running around as his character from Cabaret, and then you have, uh, oh, God, what's his name from um, The Devil Wears Prada and Midsummer Night's Dream. Stanley uh, Tucci? Stanley Tucci. You have Stanley Tucci doing exactly the same character he was in <laughs> <laughs> the devil wears Prada down to the same glasses and he keeps coming in and he's the gay best friend of Cher's character and he's just like oh Cher pull it together is this is this a movie <laughs> is it just coyote ugly only gayer it is the gayest coyote ugly ever made <laughs> that, that implies there was more than one made uh, <laughs> I don't know. There may have been there may have been some direct to uh, DVD sequels. You know, Coyote Ugly Two, Coyote Uglier, <laughs> Coyote, Ugly, Coyote Ugly with a Vengeance, Coyote Forever. <laughs> no, I, I love this idea of Cher melting because I can't get out of my uh, out of my head 
the finale to Raiders of the Lost Ark and imagining, you know how then all the Nazis' faces melt and explode at the end of that? Mm-hmm. Like inserting Cher's face into that scene gives me a <laughs> lot of pleasure. Perhaps more than I should <laughs> derive from this mental well, exercise. Please don't get me wrong. I love Cher. She's great. Uh, have you ever seen mermaids? She's amazing. And it, she's totally entertaining. And you can't, like, you watch her and you're like, oh, Cher, what have you done to yourself? But I still love you. And, uh, <laughs> I know what she did to herself. She opened up the Ark of the Covenant, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And then all you want to do is a Cher impression uh, afterwards. So my roommate and I were singing... Uh, Singing and share voices. Do you the believe entire in life at love, at love, at love? Like that? Uh, but you need more of a, you have to get rid of your nose. So, <laughs> <laughs> so it's more of a throat. It's like a, do you believe in life at love? <laughs> that, was, that, was an extremely, uh, that was an extremely faithful uh, adaptation and not at all suspect. Oh. Oh, are you accusing me of being Cher? <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. Good times. Uh, good times here in Silkwood with the man from Uncle. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> why, why are you speaking oh, oh, riddles? He's, he's First thing is now this. He's just a little bit moonstruck, Mark. You'll have to forgive him. <laughs> oh, Jordan, I'm stuck on you. Let's have two. Oh, 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 okay. I see what's going on. I see what's going on. Uh, we're giving <laughs> we're giving share the what the Jean Claude Van Damme. No, no, no. Steven Seagal treatment is what we're doing. <laughs> Every actor gets the uh, the Steven Seagal treatment. I mean, Mark, if these well, only walls, the ones we really love. If these walls could talk, they would tell you a lot of stories about the actor, <laughs> the actresses that have gotten the Steven Seagal treatment. <laughs> so so natalie is it so bad that it's good or is it just bad um it is so bad it's good honestly it's i i wouldn't i wouldn't pay to see it i mean i did pay to see it in the theaters so if you do that i don't blame you um but if you if you and a couple of friends sit down around your living room drink a bottle of wine maybe enact in some illegal substances and pop in the DVD of burlesque, I promise you're going to have a great time. (laughs) And and if anything is, that's the overthinking it seal of approval. (laughs) (laughs) Or something. Uh, And and do that, do that with the deer hunter and you'll have a slightly different kind of time. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Or the color purple. <laughs> that's uh, probably never why I got around to that. Maybe that's what it is. It's like whenever you put something on your Netflix Netflix queue, you need to ask, "Would I watch this drunk?" Right? <laughs> and if the answer is no, then <laughs> it's a waste of money. Yeah, or you know, I like I don't want to be my best self. You know, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> wait, is that the title of a share movie as well? Because if not, it should be my best self. <laughs> Uh, or I don't want to be my best self. How damn you, American is that? Are you your best self? All right, here's what here's what you can write in with. Uh, write in uh, pitching the seamy underbelly of a um, uh, of some kind of endeavor or industry or practice or art or something. What would you like to see? If you don't think uh, if you don't think my film Barista is uh, is good enough for that? Write in with your own. Write in with your thoughts about the Black Swan, about uh, burlesque. Except not really. We're kind of not all that interested in what you have to say about 
uh, <laughs> about burlesque. Write in, uh, uh, leave a comment about the last ballet you went to, um, if you if you have been to one. And uh, oh, am I missing anything? I don't know. What do you think about the trashy, trashy, uh, the trashy, 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 trashy art house cinema? Uh, you can do that at podcastedoverthinkingit.com by calling or texting 203-285-6401 or by leaving a comment on, um, on our page on the show notes for the show. Uh, we have a Twitter promotion going on. If you go back, I think, one or two open threads on the website, you will see uh, what it is, what you have to do. Essentially, you have to tweet... Um, your favorite article, your favorite overthinking it article, a link to it, uh, uh, at reply us with that and the hashtag Otis, O-T-I-S, which is the name of our thought bubble mascot. And uh, we're going to give away two T-shirts before Christmas. Um, uh, one, I think, this coming Friday uh, and one later on in the month. Um, I guess two weeks, uh, two weeks hence, maybe before New Year's or something like that. We're going to give away T-shirts because we love you so much. Uh, it's the holiday season, so if you want to buy gifts for yourself or your friends, or but really for yourself, because uh, you know your family doesn't understand you and your friends don't have the money to get you what you really want, um, you can uh, go on Overthinking It and you'll see our gift guide with the best gifts of 2010, uh, including the poster version of the female character flowchart. Um, the... Uh, um, the, uh, the other links to Amazon will give us a little kickback, which is how we pay for hosting, uh, for bandwidth, for, you know, all the things that, uh, for our, uh, for our illegal substances that we watch movies with, uh, all the things that go, no, just kidding. Just kidding about that last part. Uh, or are we? Or are <laughs> All the things that go. The illegal that. substances that we watch movies with are bit-torrented copies of said movies. <laughs> 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 that statement is not endorsed by the, uh, by, the <laughs> by the staff or management of overthinkingit.com. Um, you know, so uh, if you use those Amazon links when you buy things during the holidays, we get a little kickback and we appreciate it because it um, you know, it helps offset the not inconsiderable costs of running a uh, running a moderately popular <laughs> internet website. Um Yes, until then, find us on the web at www.overthinkingit.com, the site where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It, it, it probably, probably does not. So, the movie I was supposed to talk about is The King's Speech, starring uh, Colin Firth and Jeffrey Rush as King George VI of England and his speech therapist, Lionel Doctor, not quite Dr. Lionel, spoiler alert. Um, it's a really interesting movie in a lot of ways. Part of it is that they're both great actors, but Colin Firth is doing this really methody, uh, uh, very, very emotionally intense performance where he's like stammering and crying a little bit and trembling. And then Jeffrey Rush is just sort of like completely controlled and everything's a joke and nothing seems totally sincere. And they're going kind of back and forth like that. It's almost like watching the marathon man where you got um Lawrence olivier and dustin hoffman and they're just like head to head and like their acting styles do not mesh well